Well, uh, again, we want to welcome you here uh, this morning, and it is good, good to be together as God's family. If you, if you are visiting with us today, um, I know that you hear us say this a lot, but it is absolutely true. We believe it is no accident that you're here, and we've been praying for you. Do you know that? We have been praying for you. We've been praying for this day. Uh, I have a, a good buddy here at the church that said, you know what? God's been here all night. He's been here all night waiting for us to, to have a little family gathering this morning in his living room. So that's what we're doing uh, this morning, and it's good to be together. Um, I think God wants to do something powerful in our lives today. I believe that this is not just one more Sunday, that God has really something he wants to show us uh, in his word today. Um, I, was, I was reading some scripture this week, and I came across uh, this passage from Isaiah. It was one of our big verses when we were first uh, starting as a church. Uh, Isaiah forty three nineteen, and it says this. See, I am doing a new thing says the Lord. See, I am doing a new thing, and now it springs up. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is capable of doing a new thing in you today? That it's not just one more week, it's not just one more Sunday, it's not just one more time through the songs, right? God says, I want to do something new inside of your heart today. No matter who you are, or where you've been, or what's been going on in your life recently, God says, today, I'm going to do something new. God is fully capable. We believe that today, that God is fully capable and desires to move us around and shake us up a little bit today. So that's my prayer, that we would leave here today different people than when we walked in that door uh, this morning. So as we get started this morning, let's just pray together uh, and ask God to join us in this place. God, we love you. Uh, We thank you for uh, the hearts that have gathered here today, young and old, people from near and far. Um, God, we open ourselves up to you today. We're just going to go wherever your spirit leads us. God, there's a reason that every single person is in this place today, that we've gathered here in this gymnasium in Des Moines, Iowa, and you are as fully present here as you are anywhere else on the face of the earth today, and you know exactly what is on our hearts this morning. So God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our hearts so that we could see you clearly this morning. And we do say that, how great are you this morning, God? How great thou art. You are an incredible God and you are worthy of all our worship and all our praise this morning. So open us up to receive whatever you have for us today, God. We love you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, Well, if you're just catching up today or if you've been away for a few weeks just to kind of get us all uh, on the same page, um, during the first part of the fall here at Hope, we went through a series called The Dream Giver, and many of you were here for that. And that series was very much focused on what are the dreams and desires that God has placed on your heart as an individual. And now, as we move into a new series, we're kind of going to explore what are the dreams that God has for us as his people, particularly as his church here at Hope. And so last week we began a series, just a short series here before the holidays called the 2020 Vision. And uh, Pastor Molly mentioned this uh, last week, but about every three or four years, uh, the pastors and leadership uh, of Hope, we get together and uh, and we kind of draft together a vision. And so uh, this is what it looks like. And we've got some of these in the back. It's called a 2020 Vision for Hope. For what is the next decade going to look like? Where do we believe that God is leading us. Uh, where, where's God calling us as a church? And so it's another way of saying, God, what, what's your dream for Lutheran Church of Hope? And it, w- we feel like it's a little bit more than just a dream. We feel like it's a little bit more than just strategic thinking. It's got God's fingerprints all over it. 
And I don't know if you felt that this morning as we worshiped, and you're kind of like, whoa, right? You know those moments? You know what I'm talking about? God has his fingerprints on this place. His spirit is moving in this place. And so this is, this is a, a sense of where we feel like God is, is leading us uh, as a church, but it's not about us. It's not about the pastors. It's not about the leaders. It's about us as a church. Because as Pastor Molly reminded us last week, the church is not a, the church is not a building. We are the church. And so this vision is about you. It's about where God is leading us as a church. And so I want you to use your imaginations. I want you to close your eyes. And if you happen to fall asleep, then you probably needed it. Uh, I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to use your imagination with me for a second. Put, put aside all your assumptions of what you know church to be. Just close your eyes and just, just take a deep breath and use your imagination. And I want you to think about this. What kind of a church would you love to be a part of? What kind of a church would you love to be a part of? And what if I said you had the opportunity to be a part of a radical, transformational church with a massive local and global impact, producing new life in Christ for hundreds of thousands here on earth and making heaven way more crowded for eternity? Okay, you can open your eyes if you're not snoring yet. When I read that statement, a radical, transformational church bringing new life in Christ for hundreds of thousands here on earth and making heaven way more crowded for eternity, what sort of things come to mind when you hear that? Do you get a little tingly feeling? Do you, do you get excited? Or maybe not. Well, hopefully by the end of the today, you'll understand that a little bit more. That is the last paragraph for the decade ahead of hope. Hundreds of thousands, not just at West Des Moines, but all over the country. What does that look like? Does that get you excited? So we're going to explore that a little bit more today. And so during these weeks, we're asking you not just to dream about what is God's dream for my life, what does it look like to be a part of the church? Not just Lutheran Church of Hope, what does it look like to be a part of the church? To use your imagination a little bit. And, and, and I, I want to ask you would, you, would you say, I'm all in for that kind of church? Would you say, that's the kind of church worth giving my life to? Well, if the church was a building, no, probably not, right? I wouldn't say I'm all in for a building. <laughs> Yay, we got new chairs, right? Right, that's kind of exciting, but I don't know if that's worth giving your life for. Put all your assumptions aside about what you think church is supposed to be. What sort of a mission would stir and move your heart to be a part of that? To risk at any cost to be a part of that. Maybe we need to start thinking outside the box and using our imaginations. When we were little, we all loved to use our imaginations. And somewhere along the line, we stopped doing that because life got complicated and it was time to get serious. And it was time to get practical. Well, I'll tell you what, when I was little, I loved using my imagination. I loved thinking outside the box. And by the end of this sermon, if you still want me to be your pastor, more power to you. So when I was little, 
That's a disclaimer. So when I was little, my brother and I, we loved to use our imaginations. And we loved sports. And so in our back lawn... It was just this big open area. It was actually, my dad was the pastor, so it was actually the church's lawn, but I guess we didn't care. So their lawn is our lawn. So we built a baseball field. We didn't have our own, so we made one in this vacant lot. And so what I would do is I was in charge of mowing the church lawn. And so I took that a little bit step further. Instead of just cutting the grass, I cut the base paths and I cut home plate, right? And we put up a fence out there. And you know how in baseball fields, like this is how extreme it got, right? You know, in baseball fields, they have the distance markers, like center field to hit a home run is 350 feet, right? So I measured that out. And my brother and I got a tape measure and we made it. And so I made these little markers for the, for the uh, fence that said 56 feet, right? It's a left center field, you know, to hit a home run. And I uh, got my dad to go with me to uh, the gravel pit, and we got gravel, and I brought it in my sled, and I drug it across the lawn, and I made myself a pitcher's mound. And I just spent hours and hours and hours out there. It got to the point where one day I was out there with a shovel, and I was digging this trench just to the left of, of home plate, and my dad comes out and he goes, John, what are you doing? And I said, well, we got to have dugouts, don't we? Like, I was going to dig the whole thing up, Right? Like six feet deep, I was going to dig it. And, 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 and I wouldn't trade anything for those days because my brother and I, we would, we would have these made-up teams. We had entire lineups of made-up people. It got to the point where we knew each other's players so well that my brother didn't like the personality of some of my players. It was me, right? We were the players and the general managers and the coaches and the grounds crew and the announcers and the halftime show and all that stuff. They don't have a halftime show in baseball, but we were all of that. We were all of that, and we loved using our imaginations, and, and, and nothing, nothing came close to those days. I cherish those days. And so I think about that, and I think our world was so much bigger than our limitations. It wasn't just about what, what we could do. We just had this little dinky baseball field in the middle of Story City next to the church. No, we were in Wrigley Field. We were in Yankee Stadium because it is so important to think big. It is so important to think outside the box. And thinking big increased our ability to trust in a story that was bigger than ours. And maybe today you're kind of feeling like, my story is kind of small, right? Especially, what church would ask us to dream, right? Church is just about coming and putting in your hour every week and kind of going on with your life. What sort of a church would say, come on and dream with us? And so friends, this morning I want to ask you, use your imaginations. What would you love to see God do in Des Moines through his church? What if it wasn't about us? What if it was about what we could accomplish because we have a God that is going out ahead of us. What do we actually believe God is capable of doing in our community? Do we truly believe that Des Moines is going to be radically different years from now because a bunch of people decided to gather in an elementary school gym and say, God, we want you more than anything else, and it's not our will, but yours be done, and your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven? Do we really believe that God is capable of doing that? And it's not just different, the city is going to be different because of us, but because of his church. Because the church of Des Moines that we're a part of came to life. But I want to also ask you as we're thinking big on a more personal note, what do you imagine that God is capable of in your life today? 
What is he capable of? What, what, what is that situation or that circumstance or that, that challenge or that mountain that stands in front of you today that you've, you've just somehow kind of resigned to the facts that, well, that's just the way it is. This situation, this challenge in my life, it's, it's beyond my ability to overcome. So maybe it's time to just give up, right? And maybe for you today, just as baseball players tend to get in slumps at certain points of the season, maybe you've just fallen into a slump recently. And it says, what I'm experiencing right now in my life is just a little bit beyond God's reach. It's just a little bit beyond fixing. I can't find a job. Nothing opens. I keep having these, these fights and, and issues with, in, with my spouse and my marriage, and we, we can't reconcile it. I can't seem to get over this addiction in my life that's been hanging over my head for all these years. I have this fear. I have this, this pressure in my life, and I've tried everything to fix it. And maybe today you're saying, and I'm at the end of my rope. Well, first of all, you're in the right place because this is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. You're in the right spot. And secondly, maybe at the end of your rope is right where God wants you. And maybe it's time to let go and let God be who he is. Maybe today it's important for us to remember that we have a God that says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, as it says in Isaiah. And today our Father is rejoicing over us and he says, No, you've forgotten. Nothing is impossible for me. It doesn't matter if it's this little piddly issue that you think nobody else in the entire world would care about that you're dealing with. Or maybe it's about who we're becoming as a church. God says, nothing is impossible for me today. You've underestimated who I am. You've been only going on what you can accomplish by yourself. In fact, God says, it's my strength that gets to shine through the best when you admit your powerlessness. And it doesn't matter if we're trying to become a church or some issue in your life. Maybe it's time to admit your powerlessness today instead of trying to hide behind that front of independence that you've been holding up. I'm an adult. I'm mature. I've got it all together. And God says, my strength works best through your weakness, not your independence. And so today, God says it's time to stop slumping and it's time to start trusting and and put that desire and put that fear or put that challenge into the hands of the one that turned water into wine and the one that takes loaves and fishes and turns it into a feast. That's the kind of God that we have today. And in a way, that's what we've done with the 2020 vision as well. If you read this, and I, I encourage you to do that, if you read this, the first thing that came to my mind was on, in my humanness, in my flesh, said, yeah, right, <laughs> right? We don't have time to do that. We don't have the resources to do that. I don't, know, I don't know if we're capable of doing this. No, we're not. God is. And it's always been about him. Because we're going to dream big and we're going to use our imaginations because we have a big God, not because we're so smart, Heavens, no. Not because we've got it all figured out. We're way far from that. We just know that, that for God, this dream that he's given us as a church is way beyond what we can do. And the first thing that you do when God gives you a dream is you give it back to him. Because it's his in the first place. And when you put your dreams back into the hands of God, he has the habit of multiplying them far, be- far beyond what you could ever produce on your own. 
And so I want to ask you today, not just what kind of church would you like to be a part of, but what kind of a mission would you be willing to say, I'm all in for that? Would you be willing to say, that's worth giving my life for? For a mission to see God transform lives. Now that, I think, is a mission worth giving your life for. To see eternity change for people. That might be worth something being all in for. And then, and then when, we, when we put that in perspective, when we hold that out in front of us, then all the other little things that we do as a church start to make sense, right? And, 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 and there's a reason that we get messy into people's lives, and there's, there's a reason that we, we go out of our way to get out of our comfort zones as a church. It's the reason that we serve. It's, it's the reason that we set up chairs. It's the reason we brew coffee. It's the reason we meet in an elementary school gym is because we believe that there's people here that need to experience the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here because we believe that to see God change lives is eternally more important than our own comfort zone could ever be. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? In fact, in the gospels, that's what Jesus says. The kingdom is like too. It's something that grabs hold of you and it's worth giving your life to. See, this whole idea of vision casting, it's not a brand new thing. It's not something that we just came up with. Jesus does it all the time in the New Testament. You know what's something I love about Jesus? He never answers the question, right? Read the Gospels, right? It It would drive me crazy if I was following Jesus, right? You ask Jesus something and he says, well, you know, it's kind of like this fig tree. Answer the question, Jesus, come on! I don't want to hear a story. Who are you? Are you really the son of God? Well, have you heard about bread and how that works? You know, like he never answers the question. But what Jesus does is he's always casting vision, right? Sometimes the Pharisees or even Jesus' own followers would ask Jesus, so what is this kingdom you speak of? What is this mission that you're on, Jesus, this kingdom reality that you talk about? What is that like? And instead of giving details about it, Jesus paints a picture through a story. In other words, Jesus casts a vision for what the kingdom of God is like. And Jesus said, it's like this. It's like a tiny little mustard seed that starts out. It's like a tiny little mustard seed that starts out worshiping in an elementary school gym. And you plant it. And with the right nutrients, it grows and produces tenfold. Well, it's, it's kind of like that, Jesus says. And Jesus says it's kind of like also a treasure that's buried in a field. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 13. I love this story. What is the kingdom of God? Like what, what is this mission that, that's worth giving my life to? Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's the first gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're there, say, I'm there. Awesome. It says this. It's just a very short story, but it's powerful. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Okay, so we've got a big open field, and we've got a treasure, and it's buried. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I don't think you're getting it. Did you understand what we just read here? Think about this. Not only is the kingdom of God so incredible that it it brings this guy unexplainable joy to discover it once, he finds the treasure, and because it's so powerful and because it's so incredible, he's like, that was so much fun, I'm going to go do it again. And so he gets out his spade, and he buries it again, and he finds the treasure again. He sells everything that he has to get that joy. 
Does that explain your walk with God today? Is it a treasure? And if you read that story, you might think, in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of our culture, we'd think, that's insane. That's, that's stupid. What is that guy doing? That's, that's insanity. Or is it love? Is it love? Is it finding something that's worth saying, I'm all in. I'm all in for the kingdom of God, and, and I don't care what it looks like to those around me. There's nothing like it. Friends, that's why we exist. Not just hope. That's why the church exists. And maybe some of you have been a part of churches before where that wasn't what we existed for. But when we read God's word, that's what we see. is to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep God's kingdom out in front, to, to recover the treasure of the gospel, that the life-changing love of Jesus Christ is too good to keep to ourselves. And so God has given hope this, this vision of being a kingdom-minded church, not swerving to the right or not swerving to the left with, with personal agendas or with the fad of the day, but it's keeping the main thing the main thing. And so I want to dive in for the rest of our time today to the vision statement that Hope has had for 16 years. Last week, Hope celebrated its 16th birthday. And there's a big old cake out there in West Des Moines, but it's not edible. That's my issue with it. But we keep that out in front of us, that we are a kingdom-minded church. And so we have this vision statement, and it sets the foundation for everything that we do, because foundations are vitally important. And some of you I know are new, and you've just been coming here, and you're checking out, and you're like, what is this whole City Branch Hope thing about? What's that all about? Well, it's like a game of Jenga. So it took me about eight hours to set this up. No, I'm joking. It's kind, of, it's kind of like this. So you talk about what is the vision of where we're going. What are the non-negotiables for us as a church? Well, as we look throughout God's word, we find three key things that we're going to walk through today in the scripture. But it's so important to have a good foundation. There's lots of different things that we could be about as a church. There's lots of different agendas and, 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 and roads that we could go down as a church. There's lots of different things that we could be about. There's lots of different things that we could focus on. Uh, and those things, you can take them out, and we still got a church. So I'm going to start with this piece right here. And, you know, we could sing hymns, or we could sing rock and roll music, or we could put them together like we did today. Or we could have an organ, or we could have a drum set, or we could have, you know, whatever. It, it, it doesn't matter. And, and, and that's not going to determine whether we're a church or not. We could have, let's see, we could have um, pancakes for breakfast, or we could have donut holes, right? And, and, that, and that doesn't change. But when you start to mess with the foundation, I could take out all sorts of different ones here, right? What kind of worship we have, how good the preaching is, maybe how comfy the chairs are, you know? And I could go on and on and on and on. And I could probably do this for a while, right? But what happens when you mess with the foundation, Right? What happens if we stop being a spirited, growing, Christ-centered community filled with hope and we take the kingdom focus out of it? We take the missional focus out of it. We think it's all about us. We become a club and it's not about the life-changing love of Jesus anymore. And when you start messing with the, with the foundation a little bit too much, wow, that went a lot further than I thought it would. The whole thing comes 
collapsing down. You can take a lot of things out, but you can't change the focus. You can't change the foundation. And foundations are so important, not only in our personal lives, but also for us as a church. So what are we about at Hope? And it's our vision statement, and it's up there on the screen. And so what I want to do today, I want to challenge a few of you. If you've got your Bible, and if you feel brave, we're going to walk through those scriptures together. Something they used to do in the early church is they would have people stand up and read scripture. And so I'm just going to go for this today. I feel like taking a risk today. Could I have a volunteer stand up and read Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47? Could somebody just stand up and read that? Perfect. Go ahead. Nice and loud. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you for reading that. So what we have there in Acts is a picture of what it means to be a spirited, alive, relevant, vibrant church. We've talked about before about what does it look like to be an Acts 2 church? Well, you think about the church in Acts, and they only had three things, in my opinion. They didn't have a building. They didn't have a rock band. They didn't have any of those things. The three things that they had was they had the teachings of Jesus They were witnesses to his resurrection, and they had the power of the Holy Spirit. And with those three things, they changed the world. And we have those things as well. We have those things and more today. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have everything that we need to be a spirited church. We're going to skip over Matthew 28 because we're going to come back to that one. And we're going to skip ahead to Christ-centered. If somebody, uh, somebody different has got John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Somebody wants to stand up and read that. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Awesome. Perfect. And that's what it's all about. Jesus knew that when you're growing, that you're becoming a person who loves deeply who loves deeply, not just because it's a good Christian thing to do, but because it's who you are, that you've been redone from the inside out. And it's in all this dreaming and all this visioning, it's, it's probably easy to get lost and we forget the basics. If you've been to a wedding lately, you've probably heard first Corinthians 13, right? Love is patient, love is kind and all that. But before that, Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And so as we think about being a Christ-centered church that is loved and loving, I pray that above all else that we would be known for our love. We're never going to be a perfect church, but my prayer is that all of us can say, when I was there, when I was with that group of people, I've never been loved so well in my life. That's my prayer for every single one of us. When, when I walk in that gym every week, when I, when I go to my small group, when I, when I get off of that bus in the morning for breakfast, when we serve out in the community, that people would say, ah, they must be disciples of Jesus. Because that's how people on 42nd Street and Ingersoll and Beaverdale and Sherman Hill and Windsor Heights and downtown will know. That's how they'll know that we're becoming disciples is by our love. That's how they'll know we're disciples, which is at the very center of the vision of where we're going. Becoming disciples, growing not only wide, but growing deep. Pastor Molly reminded us last week that there's lots of the things that church could be about, but Jesus was pretty clear on what the mission is. And for us, the mission is the commission. The mission is the command of Jesus to be on mission. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, Jesus says this, all authority, and you can turn there if you want, all authority in heaven and earth 
has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. How do we live out this 2020 vision? We become disciples who make disciples. No matter what hope does in the next 10 years, I know what we'll be up to. We'll be making disciples. We'll be growing deep so that we can grow wide. And so it leads you to ask, what is a disciple? If that's our mission as a church, if that's what we're going to be doing for the next 10 years, what is a disciple? Well, let me give you three quick ideas of what I think that means. First of all, a disciple is a learner. You kind of get that image of a teacher and then the, the students sit and listen either in desk or they sit at their feet and they listen and they're taught. But isn't there more to discipleship than just being taught? Because you could sit here all day long, you could sit in a classroom and, and, and listen to someone but not be their disciple. Because you can fall asleep, you can not pay attention, and you just sort of show up. But that doesn't make you a disciple. You could sit here every single Sunday for a year and listen to sermons about being a disciple and not become one. So it's got to be something more than that. A disciple is a learner. A disciple, I think, is also a believer, right? A disciple most likely believes in the person that they're following. So you could sit in a class, you could sit here for an entire year, and you could listen to what the teacher's saying, and you could buy into it. You could actually believe that what that teacher is saying is true and is worthy of listening to. And a disciple of Jesus would probably believe in him. But you could believe everything that a pastor or a teacher or a leader says and still not be a disciple of them. And finally, I think it's because a disciple is a follower. He follows the one in which they believe. I could sit in a class and I could listen to what they say all day long. I might even believe in what the teacher is saying. I could, I could believe that it's truth. But if I don't follow up on that, if I don't do anything about that, I'm not a disciple of that teacher or leader. If we truly want to become like the master, wouldn't it make sense to actually get up and follow that person and then do whatever it took to model our life after theirs? There was a saying in the first century culture, time of Jesus in the Jewish culture, that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. So rabbis, the religious teachers of the day, were extremely respected, and so it was an honor to be, to be chosen as a disciple. And so if a person was chosen to be an apprentice, they would, without even thinking, leave everything to follow that rabbi. And so people would bless these new apprentices on their way by saying, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. In other words, may you follow so closely behind your teacher on the dusty roads of Palestine that you get covered in the dust of your teacher when it kicks up behind them. May you keep in step with your rabbi that in his ways, his dust are becoming your ways. We become disciples of Jesus when we're actively and intentionally modeling our lives after him. Not just sitting and listening, not just sitting and agreeing to a statement of faith, but following wherever he leads. And it has everything to do with being a student and not being perfect. Because why would we be disciples? Why would we be students if we had it all figured out already? You're sitting beside a bunch of people that don't have it figured out. Turn to the people next to you and say, you don't have it all figured out yet. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? But it doesn't end there because to be a church that grows deep, we have to become disciples that make disciples. 
The early church spread like wildfire, not because Jesus hired 12 professional guys to be his professional Christians. They were anything but. The early church exploded because Jesus knew that true discipleship was life on life. When we read in Matthew 28, go and make disciples, it's about pouring your life into another person. And when that person is able to do what you have first done for them, then that's when we've accomplished our mission. And it starts by asking ourselves today, every single one of us, am I a person worth reproducing? Am I a person worth reproducing? Not in perfection, but in a pursuit of God that's covered by grace. Helping others grow deep and wide in discipleship is not just about sharing your faith, it's about sharing your life. The Apostle Paul picked up on that in 1 Thessalonians when he says, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share not only with you the gospel of Christ, but our lives as well. There's a story I heard. I've been taking a class recently. Some of our men have taken this class called The Quest for Authentic Manhood. And one of the guys that's, that's leading that uh, tells a story about um, he's teaching his son how to be a man, and he was wondering if he'd done a good job of that or not. And we're talking about bringing up our, our children in the faith. And his son grew up and went off to college, and he actually went to a Christian college. And he was sitting in a group with a bunch of students, and they were talking about what makes a godly man and what makes a godly woman. And the professor stood up in that class um, of, of young adults, and he says, and, and one of the questions he posed is, what is a man? What is a real man? And crickets. And nobody knew. And no hands went up, and there was a lot of shame and embarrassment because nobody knew what that was until the son of this guy raised his hand and said, a real man is one who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, leads courageously, and lives for God's greater reward. And the whole class just kind of... And the professor steps back and he said, where in the world did you learn that? What class did you hear that in? What professor, what, what great leader or teacher taught you that? My dad. Discipleship. Life on life. Not just about how to be a man. It's about pouring yourself into another. Who are you going deep with today? Who are you going deep with today? There's this myth out there that somehow when we become adults, or for some of us that have been Lutherans, we struggle with this idea. I got confirmed. I'm done. I graduated from church. But then yet as adults, we come back and we get super passionate about getting our kids into Sunday school and getting our children back into church. And I want to just challenge you today and ask you to think about that question. Are you a person that's worth reproducing? It's about modeling, and I think this is a trustworthy saying. For parents, for leaders of any kind, and especially for us as disciples, you can only teach what you know. You can only lead where you're going, but you can only reproduce who you're becoming. You can only reproduce who you're becoming. And if the vision of Lutheran Church of Hope is to go deep and wide, what's the depth look like for you today? Because we could be a church that's a mile wide, but an inch deep. Because it's possible to grow old, but never really grow up. We believe that small groups are so important because that's where we feel like discipleship takes place the best. Life on life. Growing deep 
and wide. And the and is very, very important. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. And he knew that when people experienced the gospel, it wouldn't just stay to a little group of people. He expected it to grow. He expected it to grow. Peter and John, when they were questioned by the authorities after the resurrection, they said this, as for us, we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Because when you go deep, it goes wide. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. And God is on the move. And when God's on the move in your life, you can't help but speak about what you have seen and heard. Because God's on the move, we don't control the results. And we don't get to tell God what kind of a church we're going to be. I just want to be a part of a small church. I want to be a part of a house church. I want to be a part of a church where, where there's only a couple people that I know really, really well. And I just kind of want to hide. We don't get to choose what kind of church we want to be a part of. Because the church is God's idea, not our idea. And when God gets his hands on things, it's going to become whatever he wants it to be. Our job is not to produce results. Our job is to be faithful and let God take care of the results. Deep and wide. Deep and wide. And it's our prayer today that as we invite people to come and see, as we invite those people that that have been shunned by society, the people that would be least likely to get invited, that they would experience a hope beyond what the world can give, a spirited, growing, Christ-centered community filled with hope. I'll end with with this story in in my bachelor days before I got shaped up. Amen to that. I lived with a whole bunch of guys. And the idea was, is that we would get jazzed up and excited because every night there would be something going on because we didn't have any commitments. We didn't have any thing that we were responsible for. We just did our job and we would come home and then we would just live in this 20 something male house of apathy is what I called it. In my bachelor days. And so every night there was something going on and a couple guys took it upon themselves to kind of be the party planning committee. And we'd be all sitting around and playing video games or doing whatever guys do and be sitting around and they'd say, okay, uh, we're going to go out for pizza tonight. Who's in? And we'd go around and then, and then somebody would say, okay, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go rock climbing at the, at the YMCA. Okay. We're going to go do that. Or, or we're going to go sledding or we're going to go to this or we're going to do that. And, and we'd go around and everybody would be kind of like, uh, I don't know. Cause it's a house of apathy for 20 something guys. And we just kind of go around. Oh, I don't really know. And we'd always get around to this guy and we'll call him Andy for today. We'd always get to Andy. And you know what Andy's response was? I'm all in. What are we doing? Every time we went around, Andy would say, I'm all in. Doesn't matter what it is, right? Well, we're going to go streaking. I'm all in, right? You know, whatever it is. It didn't matter what it was that day. But I was thinking about that this week. What does it mean to be a disciple? I think it means this. When Jesus is, is, is losing some disciples and people are wandering away because it's getting difficult and it's not easy. Jesus said to his disciples, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter says this, and this is where I want to end today. Simon Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where else are we going to go? You hold the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Where else are we going to go? In other words, Jesus, I'm all in. Where are we going? (laughs) I'm all in. And I I, I pray that that would be our prayer today, that we're all in, 
Not because we've earned it, not because we have it all figured out, but because we, like the disciples, know there's nowhere else to go. And to be a part of a church that's spirited, that's growing deep and wide, and that's Christ-centered, that's something worth giving your life to. That's something worth saying, I'm all in. Not for a pastor, not for Lutheran Church of Hope, not for a building, but God, for your kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. One of the incredible opportunities that we have every single week is to talk (laughs) to that rabbi that the disciples followed the dusty roads of Galilee. We can have a personal relationship with him. We can just talk to him like we would our best friend. So I just want to spend some time in prayer and whatever it is that God's stirring on your heart today, maybe there's some barriers today for you and you're saying, I, I'm a little worried about being all in. I, I don't know what that looks like. I've, I've never been a part of a church like this. I, I've got some doubts and fears about my heart and what I'm going through in my life and God, I, I don't know if you'd understand. <laughs> and God says, me, the God of the universe, wouldn't understand what you're going through today. <laughs> Let's pray together.